Well, it's our honor and joy to have you with us tonight. My, for those who don't know me, my name is Peter Botkos and a member of staff. And I'm really excited about sharing with you tonight our very uh, third installment in a brand new series. It's nearly done next week, uh, The Olympian. And the entire notion of this series centers around a simple question, and, and that is, how come some people dream and reach their destination? whilst other people falter along the way and quit. Not every person that dreams to be an Olympian becomes an Olympian. But no Olympian just becomes an Olympian like that. They have to dream about it first. And this goes with everything else in life. We're not just talking about being a sporting personality or accomplishing a particular dream in the, in the sporting industry, but all around us, we have core desires and dreams that we hope that if we had God's attention for some time, we will ask Him for that relationship. We will ask Him for that particular professional career. We'll ask Him for something for our families, for our kids, for our friends. We're after something so deeply, we call that a dream. And, and we wonder how come some people dream and reach their destinations while, uh, whilst others don't reach their destination. And I dare say in the past four, uh, three weeks or so, um, we've attempted to convince you uh, that the only way for us to reach our dreams is actually beneath the surface. We don't reach our dreams because how hard we try. We don't reach our dreams merely because of the skills and the talent we have. We reach our dreams because God built a character within us in a being that is strong, that is resilient, that's courageous, and in a being that God can entrust with his dreams. You see, Joseph, the personality in the Old Testament that we've been talking about for several weeks, had a dream. Just like you and I have dreams. The only difference is God couldn't entrust Joseph with the dream where Joseph was. Joseph was potentially insecure and insensitive young man, 17 years of age. And God needed to build his character before he can build him, before he can give him the dream. So how do we? How do we become a type of people that reach the dream that God has for us? How can we build the inner character that can have God's favor over our lives? And, and this is exactly what we're trying to tackle in those weeks. The first week we talked about that vision, the eyes. You have to see inside you something before it comes outside of you. And our possibility determines our activity. The second week, we looked at the training of the athletes, their hands. They actually have to do some hard work. They had to endure the trainings and the trials of life in order to reach the dream that God has for them. We realize that champions do what's right before it feels right. And today, I want to talk to you, obviously, about the mouth and about the diet. Because champions monitor their intake. It champions monitor their intake. In fact, some athletes will tell you that you are what you eat. They know that it doesn't just take talent to reach your pinnacle. It doesn't take talent to reach your personal best. It takes diet alongside talent. 
one of the little stories that I've been exposed to by a, a snowboarder, an American snowboarder. Her name is uh, Kelly Clark, who won the 2002 Winter Olympics gold. And, uh, and she says this. She's uh, 30 years of age. And, uh, and she says, our sport is so new. And it has elements that are lifestyle and elements that are sport. Recently, it's transitioned more into a sport as the tricks have progressed. I thought I'm a successful snowboarder, but perhaps if I treat my body like an athlete treats her body, pay attention to what I put in it and condition it, perhaps I could achieve my dreams better and chase down these things that I've always wanted. Friends, athletes realize that diet has a significant role to play in accomplishing their dreams. And you know what? Shock horror. Those athletes also struggle with their diet, their balanced diet. Whether it's taking less of something or more of something to reach the calories required for their training output, they, like normal human beings, they have the same struggles, the same cravings, uh, the, the same things that we ourselves uh, struggle with, yet they have put such a high value on their diet that they're willing to suffer the consequences, albeit for an Olympic medal. Self-control is something that we all have to develop if we're going to build the type of character that would change our destiny. And you know what? I don't know about you, but self-control may land uh, 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 with you today in different ways. For some of us, you say, absolutely, preach it, brother. We need more people who are self-controlled. Or maybe you look around, uh, around you here and you've seen young and old people who are pursuing life with God with such tenacity and self-control. You say, how the heck do they do that? that what, what, don't they have a raging war inside of them? Uh, you know, what's, what, what's happening? What even you think they are boring type of people? They're not enjoying life with all that life entails. You know, why would you have a salad if you can, you know, consume a block of chocolate? You know, what's, what's the point of doing that? Life is boring. But let me tell you something. What's the opposite of self-control? The opposite of self-control that you are out of control. So when you go to the shopping center, you purchase impulse uh, uh, purchasing things that you didn't really want or things that you later regret. Maybe impulse reaction, you know, somebody says something or does something and you react in a particular way and you say, oh, what the heck, how did I go out of whack like that? How come I reacted in this way? How come was I out of control in my conversation with this particular person? Maybe it happens with a particular habit. It might be happens with a particular addiction. It might happen with a particular relationship. It happens so generally now with sex in the world. And it's impulse-driven, compulsed living environments where we just do what we feel like doing. And, and you've probably seen and heard and read about the sporting and famous personalities that they felt like the world was under their control. You know, I don't need to mention names, but golfers and footy players and, and swimmers, you've read about them in the news even of recent years, where they started feeling fully in control. You know, what is a little bit of drug going to do for me? That 
fantastic athlete, won a brown low medal, and, and, and nobody was ever able to discern whether he's having drugs or not. What about the swimmer and, and the mess that's going on in his life? What about the golfer that had so many women and he was able to uh, discreetly have multiple relationships at the same time whilst he's married? You know, if you had an interview with these people, they would tell you, I, am, I don't know how the heck I fell in such a great pit like that. Because when you're going towards that deteriorating environment, when you took totally out of control, the reality is people around you see it, but you can't see it in the mirror. You think you are in control. Oh yeah, I've got that under control. When the reality is, time after time, you're not in control, you're out of control. And you know how horrible that is. You know how difficult it is to be out of control, isn't it? I could tell you a story after a story at times where I felt out of control, out of control, and the regret that happens after that is absolutely devastating. And I'm sure some of your greatest regrets have come at a time where you weren't fully in control of what you were doing. And when you look around people and they're fully in control of their reaction, they calm, cool, and collected. They don't make decisions that they, they, they later, uh, you know, blows up in their faces. And you say, you know, how can they do it? How are they different from me? And they're probably not different from me. Because I want to tell you, every single one of us, no matter how old you are, no matter your background, your capacities, your religious affiliation, you have a war inside of you you actually have an inclination inside of you that pulls you the wrong direction and that particular pull we call that the just you you have an inclination deep inside you that wants to go the wrong way that wants to say the wrong thing that if you leave it it will grow weeds it doesn't grow trees even someone as incredible as a guy called the Apostle Paul. You probably have heard of him, even if you're not a Christian. He's got one of the most incredible influences over Christianity that we know today. Yet he says in a book called the Book of Romans and, and chapter 7, he says, every time I want to do good, I find evil before me. He says, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that resides in me, inclination to do the wrong thing that's already inside of me. Friends, you and I having a raging wars inside of us. You want to do good and God appreciates that and knows that about you. But somehow you find evil so present, so easy. It's easier to do the wrong thing. It's easy to be out of control than in control. And you say, Peter, so do we have hope? Yes, people around you will tell you that you have and I have hope. People of all different ages, even in this church, are living with such tenacity and self-control, not because they're better people, but because they found a better way to face the temptations, the desires, the impulses, and inclinations that we all face day after day. And one of the most profound characters in the scripture, known as Joseph, 
He is probably the person that exemplifies most than anybody else that you would ever hear or know about. Exemplifies what it's like to be in control, not out of control. He is presented to us on the pages of history as 17-year-old. A 17-year-old that had a dream, his brothers hated his guts and conspired to absolutely sabotage his dreams. They so much so they wanted to kill him and then they changed their mind and they sold him as a slave. He went to a different culture, he was a Hebrew boy, goes to, um, uh, goes to Egypt to work, being sold to a guy called Potiphar who's an official in, 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 in the Pharaoh's um, uh, government. And this, this Joseph has to learn a different language, has to be accustomed to different culture. And there in that household as a slave, he was so industrious, worked his butt off, and actually was so entrusted by his master. He was so good that not only his master entrusted him, but he gave him one responsibility after another. He promoted him until he was charge of the entire house. Imagine how faithful this guy was. And last, last week we heard that he, God was with him. God was for him. And God was in him. And he succeeded in everything his hand touched. But the story doesn't stop there. In the midst of, of, of we would say, potentially 10 years being in the Potiphar's house. Uh, maximum 10 years in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife notices young man in his 20s. And this is where our scripture comes tonight. Let me read to you uh, from verse, uh, verse 6, middle of verse 6 in, in Genesis chapter 39. It says this. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Look at that. Come to bed with me. If you don't understand the translation, she was actually asking him for sex. Saying, have sex with me. It's straightforward, aggressive. This is a man who's lonely, who's been devastated by his brothers, who's been betrayed. And now he's, he's got no hope of, of any, uh, you know, when you're a slave, you have no hope of actually getting married one day. This is a, a, a thing of a lifetime. You know, usually scholars say that the, uh, that the women, the Egyptian women that were married to high uh, officials were uh, rather beautiful in appearance. They, that's where cosmetic first started in Egypt. So if it was there at the time, she must have not just been physically beautiful, but she had all the tools to make her incredibly attractive. She says to him, have sex with me. But... He refused. What on earth? This guy is seeing the temptation, the lust, the desire, the inclination come to his lap. It's right there before him. Something that he would have never expected. A, a lady that is the most powerful woman in the house. And she takes notice of a little slave. Imagine the flattery. Imagine how important he would have felt. That he, little slave boy, is, ex is attractive to the most powerful woman in the house. Yet, he refuses. What on earth made him refuse? Because, believe it or not, 
he was a normal male in his 20s. And believe it or not, like everybody else, he would have been raging with absolute desires to do what he's been asked to do. We read it as if the temptation was external to him, but I dare say the temptation is also within him because like all the children of Adam and Eve, he had inclinations to sin. He had the virus of sin inside of him. That's what makes him remarkable. Why? I want to give you three things tonight. I pray you would remember them. I, I, I've just been uh, uh, confronted this morning when Pastor Stewart, uh, who was preaching in the morning, said to people, do you remember anything from what Peter said last week? And I don't think anybody remembered anything. So yeah, I hope God would speak to you and would remind you of what he wants you to know. I'm going to tell you three things today. The first one is why he refused, how he resisted. He says, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. Look at that. He's saying, I'm in such position of trust and authority. I am in a charge. Listen. When things are going well for you, when you are entrusted, when you're loved, when you're successful, be very, very wary because that's when sin will strike. It says for every hundred person that resisted a temptation under adversity and passed, only one who faces a, a, a temptation in times of pleasure is able to when you have uh, ease, the enemy strikes hard. Yet, he takes that very concept that he's entrusted and in charge and says, no. Because of that, I won't do this wicked thing. Because I'm entrusted, because I'm in charge, because I'm loved, because I'm respected, I won't do, do those things. How? How the heck did he resist such incredible Temptation. You know why? The first thing I want to tell you, Joseph had a concept of self that was different from what the world had of self. He had what we would call a word constructed or a word, a word, word shaped self. His view of himself was not based on what the world would say. His view of himself was based on what God have created him to be. He recognized that no matter what the consequences might be, the one thing I won't live with is looking myself in the mirror and calling myself a betrayal, calling myself a, a cheat, calling myself a person that did not respect the master that was so good to me. He could not look himself in the mirror and see someone else than the self that he had envisioned all along before this temptation came his way. You see, some scholars tell us that women, Egyptian women at the time, they were a bit loose. 
that they, 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 even their husbands, and, and I know that's nothing uh, written in the scripture, but even their husbands recognized that they would do stuff behind the scenes. You know, Joseph could have said, you know what? I'm, I'm a slave in this house. I'm under Potiphar, and, and, and consequentially, I'm under his wife's rulership. I'm, I'm a slave. I've got no rights. Whatever she wants, I must do. He could have justified it that everybody else does it. He could have justified that he deserves it. He's been betrayed. And, and when you're being betrayed, when you've, when you've been hard done by, you want anybody to care about you. When you've had the wrong deal, of the raw deal of life, you are desperate. You, he might have even uh, reconciled in his mind, this is, must be God's gift to me because I have no other hope. But no, no. He had different standards to live by. He had a different image. It's not the consequences. It's how he saw himself. And you know the amazing thing? He says, that how can I do this wicked thing? This wicked thing. The, the word wickedness means criminal thing. How can I do this criminal thing and sin against God? How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Friends, let me tell you something. Yourself is not individualized. When you see yourself, like it's my business, Peter. I can do whatever I want to do. I'm going to cop the consequences. That's wrong. We're in a society where we see ourselves such an individualistic type of people. Our default, cultural default is that we're individualist. But that's not true. The reality is like a, a triune God. You're created in the image of a triune God. Your identity, your capacity, who you are is so linked to God and so, so linked to other people. That's why he says, I, I am so linked to my master. I am so linked to God. I can't ruin re the reputation. I can't be something that I'm not like. It is me. It's my people. It's my God. We behave this way. Friends, let me tell you something. You must predetermine the type of person that you are not personally not even individually but you need to understand who you are in God and with people you have a triune personality you have a relational self a self that is totally and utterly connected to God and his reputation you are not alone just because you have the capacity to make a decision it doesn't mean it doesn't impact other people it doesn't mean it doesn't impact on God's reputation friends let me tell you something just something for free your actions have consequences on other people just because you're enjoying yourself somebody else is suffering you know, if my kids don't clean their plates at home, someone else has. Because guess what? There's no angels come from heaven in our house and clean their plates. Somebody has to pay because you play. But you are not alone. Your personality is according to the very image of God. He said, we created man according to our own image. There is a triune God in your relationship with him and with other people. You have a relationship with others that get impacted because of your incapacity to monitor what comes in your life. Let me tell you something. Maybe, just maybe, this very thing would impact you to come again. But if you would look at the scripture, I would dare say 
that there is no sex outside the marriage relationship that is you or your people or your God would approve of. No relationship, no sexual relationship outside the bond of marriage is acceptable to God and it is the image of God regardless what the society say, regardless what Potiphar's wife would say, regardless what you and your friends would say because God has spoken and your image is intertwined with the very image of God. No lustful thinking, no lustful talk, no dirty jokes, no provocative dressing, nothing that is allowing the enemy to bring sensual and sexual stuff into your life is appropriate for a man like you or a woman like you because your personality, your identity, who you are is so intertwined with a holy God who loves you deeply and knows that the pit you would dig, it will be the pit that you hate in the future. And maybe you think that I have the freedom to act, but God knows that that's not freedom. People spiral out of control because they lost self-control. The first thing, the first thing that I want to teach you today is that you need to be allow the word of God to shape who you are before the temptation comes. You say, I would never look myself in the mirror and be that type of person. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't care what my reputation may be. But I will not look myself in the mirror and think that I'm a cheat. I'm never going to look myself in the mirror and say that I'm addicted. I'm never going to look myself in the mirror and say that I'm struggling with a particular thing that God and nobody else knows about. But God, God abhors. Friends, you've got to build who you are on what God says, not what culture says is good. Political correctness may be okay in the news, but whatever is not biblical is not okay. I don't care who says it. We want to reach the world, friends, but we're not going to allow the church to, go, to dilute every single thing that God says so that we can get the clap of the world around us and we can fill the churches. We need God's word to shape who we are, and I believe Joseph had a very clear understanding of who he is before the temptation came his way. Therefore, he was able, first of all, to refuse. But look what happened in verse 10. It says, and though she spoke to Joseph, look at that. Can you read that with me? It's a bold. Uh, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day. One more time. Day after day. My goodness, this lady was persistent. Temptation was persistent. Your impulses are consistent. The, 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 the sin that, that lurches out of you, the war that it's waging within you, the inclination, the impulses, they don't stop because you've refused. They don't stop because you've refused. They keep coming. The more you refuse, they keep coming. Just because you're tempted doesn't make you sinful. It makes you resistant. makes you a person of God. makes you a person that is self-controlled. Just because you're tempted, it doesn't speak negatively of you. And don't think, I'm going to pray and God will let go. I was praying all week. I am so burdened for you. 
I wish God would reveal to you this entire week. I've been begging God and begging God and praying for your safety and praying for your strength and praying for your self-control and I'm praying for God's blessing and presence. I'm saying, Lord, can you please just remove the temptation for a while? And it was only about two days ago God said to me, you're praying the wrong prayer, man. I won't take away the temptation, but I will give them the strength. I will not take away the temptation, but they, every single one of them you are preaching to tomorrow night, God said, tell them that they can resist every single day. They're not weak. They're not defeated. Even if they're defeated once, they will not be defeated again because God is the God of the second chances. And just because you fell, it doesn't mean you're a failure. And just because you're, you're absolutely stuffed up, it doesn't mean that you have no hope and hopeless. But friends, I want to tell you that this temptation came to him every day and every day he won it. And you can be just as strong. You know why? It says that day after day he refused to go to bed with her. And look at this crazy line. It says, or even be with her. Even be with her. That guy said, you know what? This is danger zone. It's not just danger because she's persistent. It's danger because sin within me is persistent. It's danger because sin within me is persistent. Friends, you are not a wrecked person to have inclination deep within you. You are not a stuffed up person because you have sin coming out of you. But you know what he did? He says, this is too dangerous for me to cope with. I'm going to move away from the danger zone. Would you hear me? I want to even kneel down and ask you, beg you for someone. The place where there is sin lurking, run away. Don't say, I'm going to come so close to the fire, just close enough to enjoy it without being burnt. I beg you, run away. If, if it's a TV program that's exciting those energies within you, the inclinations within you, just lock that program out of your schedule. If it's a, if it's a particular place you go to, or if it's a particular person you and them just alone at a time, if it's a particular place that the other friends egg you on to do a particular thing, I beg you, move away from it. If it's got the shadow of tripping you, please move away. Don't negotiate with sin. Don't negotiate. You say, Peter, you're making it seem like I really don't want to fall into that sin. It's like you're making it seem like I want to resist it and I just don't know how. And you're giving me good tips. But you know what, Peter? I want that sin. You know, I don't need to to wait for somebody like like Potiphar's wife to come and ask me. I want to go and approach. It's it's not like I I don't want to to participate in this conversation. It's like I'm initiating this conversation. It's not that I'm waiting for her to to call me or send me a text. I want to initiate that call. It's not like that I'm waiting for an ad to come on the computer. I'm going after that act, after that ad. And I understand. I live in the same world. I have the same inclinations. But I want to tell you the second tool. The only reason 
Joseph was able to run away from what appeared to be pleasurable is that he found another alternative. Friend, do you not expect it to live the rest of your life hungry? That you're expected not to go for the stupid food that maybe once every now and again it's all right. That you're not expected to go for this food day after day after day. Even that is saying amen to me. Yes, thank you. I want to say, if you want to resist whatever inclinations, impulses, I want to tell you, you need to, go, to find a God-centered satisfaction. A God-centered satisfaction. You know, in Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 7, it says that a satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb. The satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb. But listen to this. Every hungry soul, to every hungry soul, even a bitter thing appears pleasing. Can you believe that? You might be having something so bitter and you think it's so good. You know why? Because you're so damn hungry. You haven't filled your capacity. You haven't filled your hunger with the word of God who's known to be like the bread of life. You need to spend time with God and find your pleasure in Him. You need to sit at God's feet and say, God, I don't want to do this Christianity thing. I want to really enjoy your company. I want to love on you. I want to find in you all that I need and all that I desire. God, I don't want to be a hungry soul. I want to be totally and utterly fulfilled. That even if something that seems legitimate that comes my way, that I would have the guts to say no. We need a God-centered satisfaction. You need to spend time. You know, the scripture tells us, tell, uh, orders us to flee from youthful lusts, but also orders us in the same scripture to pursue righteousness. You can't flee without pursuing something. If you flee from something, you are leaving something behind. But if you're pursuing something, you're reaching something more fulfilling. You see, in Egypt, we had this analogy. Only Egyptians will appreciate that. So if you're not an Egyptian, you're allowed to sleep for a couple of minutes. But when I was living in Egypt, we had a couple of outlets, food outlets. We had no McDonald's, no Kentucky, all this stuff, nothing. We had either beans and falafel or we had kofta and kebab, which is like the, the, the meat stuff, the beautiful minced meat. and ah, Beautiful. It smells a million dollars from a mile. If you had no money, you will run and have this bean and, and falafel because it was cheap. If you, if you had, you know, once every few months, your parents, you know, been so kind to you, you can, you can purchase the kofta and kebab, you know, you can purchase the beautiful meat. Imagine, imagine if you've just had a beautiful meal of minced meat and kebab, yeah? You've just had a beautiful barbecue and you're passing by falafel and full shop. You stink, man. It's just, I hate that food. But if you're hungry, you run to it. What if God is satisfying you? Would you run to stuff that appears to be pleasurable when it's sucking the life out of you? You want that person to love on you because you don't feel loved? You want that person or this group of friends to validate you because you don't feel validated by Jesus? You want any odd images to satisfy your soul because you're not satisfied with the Word of God? People tell me, how can I build self-control? First of all, spend time with God all the time. 
Every time you feel you're hungry, run to the Word of God. Psychologists would say self-regulate. You're pulled from every direction to do something. Don't just do it. Stop. Regulate yourself. Be aware of the moment. And say, God, in your Word, I'm going to delight myself. Run to God's Word. Then do pause. Stop. The last thing that I want to share before we finish tonight, it says this. In verse 11, it says, One day, Joseph went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. The stage is set for them. She, Potiphar's wife, caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out. I want to tell you this is one of the most courageous things this young man could do. If you've ever been sold as a slave, which I haven't, I'm just imagining. If you've been betrayed by your own family, you're petrified. You just want to make sure everything is harmonious so you don't suffer again. And this guy knew that if this lady who's so powerful and influential wasn't happy with him, he's minced meat. Yet... He chose whatever consequences would come his way, which was indeed prison. You know why? Because that's the third thing that I believe with all my heart, that we need to embrace your grace-enabled strength. Not his own strength, but the free power of God, the free favor of God's power over your life. You say, I can't do it, but Because of God's power, I have enough strength because His power is made perfect in my weakness. That's why the scripture says, be strong in the grace of the Lord. Strengthen yourself in God's favor, in God's empowering, transforming power. That's what grace is. We always think of grace as as God's unmerited favor. But in fact, if you look deeper about that word, it means the transforming power of God given to you. You have power to run. Regardless of the consequences. You have power to run even if people ruin your reputation. You have power to run even if it feels like you've lost half your life and the potential of a pleasure that you've never. You know what? You can cope with the consequences because of the strength that God supplies. You're not weak. The enemy wants to tell you you're weak. How could you be weak if you've got God Almighty inside of you? How could you be be weak if the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is with you? You can't be defeated in front of of, of, of whatever rubbish that the world throws at you. So what about Peter if, if I stuffed up? That proves that I didn't have strength. Well, you have strength to repent. You have strength to requit again. You have strength to say no. Not just to stop, but to step away and find support. You have strength to confess your weakness. Let me tell you something. If you're stealing in your workplace, you will never ever stop unless you tell somebody that you're stealing. If you're cheating on your test at school, you will never ever stop until you actually go to your teacher and say, I cheated. Next time, you won't cheat again. All that the enemy wants to do. And you know what? Doing it with the greatest of our people. Doing it with the greatest of people inside the church. 
is wanting them to hide it under the carpet. Says, what would people think of you? Don't worry about what people think of you. Because if they got an ounce of God within them, they will admire you. Don't allow darkness to sabotage God's activity in your life. Listen to me, young people. If you're doing something in the dark, quit. It will sabotage your life. It will sabotage your future relationship. It will take away your innocence and it may as well take away your destiny. Quit. Just because you and her are happy doesn't make God happy. Just because nobody else can talk. You know what? I found even Christian families are encouraging their children to do the wrong thing. Because nobody's business is our business. Quit taking God for mockery. Just because other people don't know about it doesn't mean it's okay. Just because everybody else is doing it doesn't mean it's okay. You know, I have seen people, one person after another, come to know Jesus and leave Jesus, not because Jesus is no good, not because Jesus is no longer God, not because Jesus is no longer capable, but because they feel so guilty that they have to let go of God so that they feel okay again. You don't need to feel guilty. Your God loves you. He will strengthen you, but you need to quit. You cannot entertain God and sin. It says, if I treasure sin in my heart, the Lord does. You, someone needs to hear this today. Just because you come to church, just because other people think that you're walking with God wholeheartedly, if you're hiding something in your heart, you will not prosper, the scripture says. But if you confess it with your, your mouth and forsake it, you will prosper, it tells us in Proverbs. But if you conceal it, it will rotten inside your bosom. Friends, I know none of us in this room want to live a life that misses on our destiny. None of us. You know what would happen if Joseph enjoyed a momentarily pleasurable time with that lady? Because sin is enjoyable for a time. Yet after a while, it will blind you, it will bind you, and it will grind you. Imagine if Joseph succumbed to the pressure. He wouldn't blame him. He could have said, God, I understand. Everybody else is doing it. But he would have lost his destiny. You know what? He was in that house for 10 years, maximum. He lived to 110 years. That means he had 80 years in glory. He paid for 10 years. He got an 800% 800-fold extra of blessing and power and God's favor over his life. As the band comes up, we want to pray over you today. No matter what the enemy is done in your life, you can have power and freedom. To live the type of person that God has planned and deposited in your life. You do not have to receive everything the enemy dumps your way. You don't have to live on junk food. It may be satisfying for a little bit. It might spike you for a little bit. But you can live with such integrity and purity. You can, friends. 
And in just a few moments, as soon as we sing that first song, I'm going to ask three people to come up and pray over you. For some of you, you have really moved away from God because the guilt has been too much. And we want to pray forgiveness and freedom over you, that you'll begin again. For some of you, for some of you even tonight, you need absolute miracle from God to get out of that pit and God care. For some of you need to be satisfied again with God. And that would make sense as you walk out of this door. And tonight, you reacquaint yourself again with God's word and with God's favor. Friends, we love you. We are so burdened that you would live the life that God has for you. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you. I'm not burdened for me, I'm burdened for you. I'd love you to live the life that Jesus died on the cross to give you, a life of freedom, a life of passion for God, a life of enjoying the pleasures, the fullness of joy that comes from God, a life of meaning, a life of not living for yourself, but for Him who died for you and rose again. It's the best possible life and and I pray that God would do some business with us tonight as we stand as we stand to uh, sing relent I've changed my mind so much I'm going to stop it here we love you God loves you. I don't want you ever to walk out of here living with the guilt or the pretense or the reality that you know that you're fake and nobody knows about what's going on inside of you. God can purify you. And it may be day after day, but you can win day after day. Amen. Let's be upstanding and we're going to pray for you in just a few moments after we sing.